Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of faith and mental health. On this episode of Becoming Well, we're going to tackle a topic that's really near and dear to our hearts, women in leadership and their mental health and wellness. I'm excited to talk about this topic. As am I. It's very important. It's so important. And we were talking about how we've been watching some of the Supreme Court hearings Mm -hmm. and the um, questions posed to Ketanji Jackson as, you know, she's being vetted for this role. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of brought up some... I don't know, feelings, emotions. Absolutely. First and foremost, I want to say that I was so encouraged and impressed and empowered how she presented herself and how she kept her, uh, you know, cool and just she just extremely intelligent. She's extremely beautiful. And just just the way that. She represented women the way she represented black women. And, you know, that for me was the the thing that stood out the most. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't necessarily um, at first where I was just like, Ugh. and I think it's because I don't know if I was shocked. And I say that maybe looking in the political realm, but also in general with women, Right. So the sad part is I wasn't shocked, but I was so proud of the way that she actually kept her cool. But I actually saw something on the on Instagram that said something um, after, you know, maybe day two. And they said, instead of us praising how she kept her cool and how intellectual she was and all of these great things that she did, why don't we look into why she felt like she had to be have that disposition yes. where we have to praise that she kept her cool in spite of maybe there shouldn't be <laughs> an in spite of right do you, know, do, yeah. do you know what I mean that's I think what we want to dive into today and I you know I just want to give a caveat speaking of Instagram um, do you follow Jackie Hill Perry yes another phenomenal yes. female leader especially mm-hmm. in the black community mm-hmm. as a black woman but she posted something the other day that I thought was really um Really amazing. And I'm going to use it now because, you know, I think it's easy to hear a name or something political and assume we're having a political conversation and we're not. And we're not. And what she was talking about is how can we look at people mm-hmm. and specifically look at um at, at this situation and, and at this woman and look at her qualities and characters as a human being. Right. Because I guess um, Jackie had posted something on Instagram about similar conversation and had gotten a lot of backlash about, but her political stances and da 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 da. Well, no, that's not what we're talking about today. Right. We're talking about the experience that women go through stepping into positions of leadership and influence and what they sometimes face that perhaps their male counterparts do not or, or experience in different ways and how that can affect their mental health and well-being. Absolutely. So if you were going to turn off our podcast, <laughs> you can keep it on. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, and I say that, too, because Deb and I, we, we really don't try to get into um, these type of conversations because as clinicians, oftentimes they're not fruitful. We get to the, the core of what... Um, the core of what the real issue is, and that is humanness. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I love that. And that's what I think, what we want to talk about today, like you said, how are we going to see women in positions of leadership the same way that we see men? And that core of that is that humanness. Yeah. Common humanity. Common humanity. 
Right. Yeah. And so, Deb, I want to. We were we were getting prepped for this, and and I automatically thought about you because you. I have been in uh, leadership positions, but you are in. You've been in a lot of leadership positions, and currently, um, in the past and current. So, tell me about maybe some experiences or some thoughts that you have with this subject as it pertains to your personal experiences. Yeah. It's interesting because as I've been watching some of the hearings, it's, I don't, I want to be careful to say, and I tell this to my students, I tell this to my clients a lot of the times, I don't really think there are very many people, like we're talking an outliers at the extreme sense that have a malicious intent no, in their motivation. I agree. Right. And mm-hmm. so I want to be intentional in saying that because I don't see some of the men that I've worked with as having malicious intent in the way not. they respond to me, sure. nor do I think <laughs> as much as maybe I want to, that some of these senators that are asking these questions have malicious intent. It's sort of an ingrained experience that's been, you know, integrated into the way we interact in society. But mm-hmm. I can say I've, I've had the experience a lot of times and I've even observed this in the hearings where it, where, um, in particular men that I've worked for, and I and I haven't also, so I'm going to give the caveat too, I haven't also worked for, which I think this is interesting, um, any female leaders. Mm. Now, maybe that's the context in which I've worked historically in the church and, you know, in seminary settings, but um, so I don't have a great comparison, but I find that, um, that there's a, I don't, a motivation or a need, or I don't even know how to describe it, of men leaders to like educate women leaders, Mm. potentially even on topics where the women might be the expert, not because they're women, but because of what their background or their experiences. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's sort of, you know, one of the things floating around on social media is, um, is, is, uh, is all of her qualifications Mm -hmm. as a judge and how she's been a public defender and how she's clerked in these areas and how she's an Ivy League graduate. And you can see in comparison to all the other Supreme Court judges that are currently on the bench, she has the utmost experience in every category. And yet I see some of these senators in their questions. I feel like asking in a way or communicating in a way that's, that's sort of coming across as let me educate you in these areas. And I know for me, that has caused me to go, do I know what my area of expertise is? Like, am I, so to question yourself, yeah, to question myself, it's caused me to feel, um, kind of like a kid. Yeah. Almost, you know, like I'm being parentified in some or not parentified, but I'm being parented in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 caused me to at times shut down and to feel like, OK, I'm not really sure what my purpose or my my goal is in carrying out my leadership. Um, and it's something, honestly, I struggled to know how to approach effectively, because, again, when I look at the situation, when I step back and view it, I don't really see the person leading me in that capacity as having a malicious intent Absolutely to do it. Absolutely not. And I don't and I, I love that you say that because it's not about us thinking that there's some kind of nefarious <laughs> motive happening. Yeah. But I think and you said it before, there's this inherent uh you know, societal structure. Yeah. That even on an unconscious level, 
that we tend to live out and it's it could be and it's unintentional Mm -hmm. you know so let's just say for the sake of argument it is unintentional it's not you know malicious or you know or they want to you know embarrass anyone but even I was thinking two things when you were you know sharing is one even the having the freedom to ask such questions for a woman I don't know if a woman would have that much freedom and boldness to ask such questions from to a man oh yeah Right. And that in itself, I don't think the men are thinking where I'm I'm a man, so I get to ask these questions. There's just not a thought that I can ask this question because this is my position. And I think women, at least in my experience, I tend to think, okay, I have to sound bigger, badder, smarter, more uh, articulate or even at the same level. I have to make sure that I speak their language, because if I sound any type of a woman language, quote unquote, emotional, then I might get shut down. Mm-hmm. So again, it has nothing to do with whether they are saying that or whether they believe that. But there's this inerrant, um, inherent inherent uh, um, psychology behind how we actually function in, you know, in our society that I think we just tend to play into because it's it's been there for so yeah. long. We, it's, we've been indoct- indoctrinated into believing yeah. that we have to always be on the defense. Yes, I so agree. And it, you know, it's, I was thinking about the emotions piece. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bring up a topic that might be a little bit controversial. And I don't necessarily want to dive deep into it because we talk about this a lot in other circles. But this idea of complementarian versus egalitarian, right? Complementarian mm-hmm. meaning that... Um, God created us uniquely male and female and that we have different giftings and abilities and even roles and egalitarian being more that um, we're equal in personhood Mm -hmm. and there's no limitations based on our gender um, in terms of the roles between specifically being a man and being a woman. Um, And I like to think of myself as unique as a woman. Absolutely. I I I like that Mm -hmm. element of it. But I think as we're talking about history and you know messages and communication that we've just sort of embraced without taking a critical eye to it i think we've we have abused and misused those labels wow and so we've placed a hierarchy on them right um that okay well being a man is it carries a greater weight or significance than being a woman. Mm. Um, and maybe that's not the right way of categorizing it, but I think sometimes that's the feeling or experience. That's the key. And I, th- and, and yes, you think you, you actually did that very well and took in, in very carefully. So I thank you for that in terms of the definitions. Uh, but that's the key. It's, it's, you know, you, you said that we have oftentimes we just embrace it and we don't look at that and, and look at that through a critical lens uh, in terms of what is just, uh, you know, ha- has been part of our culture for so long. And so we tend to just function in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so drawing it back to the emotions piece, I think what sometimes probably more often than not motivates women and maybe women leaders as we're talking to that category specifically today to feel that they have to present themselves in a certain way is because they already have this perception as I'm coming in as the underdog. Right. And so when it comes to emotions, I remember I had this experience. I worked at an organization years ago. I was going through a really stressful leadership season and I was in this room with a bunch of other leaders within the organization and I was advocating for something and I got teared up. 
Like I got choked up. And, um, and I know my internal reaction was to kind of, you know, coach myself through it, like pull it together, Deb, don't show your emotions, show that you're strong, show that you're competent, show that you're capable. Um, and, and I kind of powered through it much to my disappointment in myself because why are emotions wrong? Right. But I will never forget somebody came up to me that was in the room after the meeting And I was still pretty, um, you know, pretty shaken. I was still kind of blinking back tears. I was still feeling kind of anxious. And they're like, do you have a cold? Wow. And it was, you know, again, not a malicious intent. I don't think I honestly thought it wasn't even in their wheelhouse to consider showing emotion in a context like that. So they didn't even consider that perhaps that's what I was experiencing. Wow. And But that's a good example in terms of how we're indoctrinated into certain ideas, whether we want to admit it or not, that the church, we're affected by that as well, right? We are absolutely affected by... I'll go down with you on that ship. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You know, and so we will see that across contexts, including when we're working with our unintentional, you know, know, individuals from the church that are unintentionally... Um, having these conversations with us or unintentionally doing it in a harmful way. Yeah. But we are absolutely affected by that. And you said something so powerful where it wasn't even on their radar. And I think that is the the freedom of of what often uh, oftentimes what men will have mm-hmm. is that freedom that it doesn't have to be on their radar. Yeah. But we are going through a thousand different possibilities and ways to approach that situation right at that moment, because oftentimes from a so when we talk about this from a developmental standpoint or a emotional standpoint, it might go against what our raw emotions are. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're always on here on, you know, saying how emotions are good, like yep. you said, and they're great. And why should we apologize for them? And I'm not saying that we we are just supposed to run around with our raw emotions all the time because then we would be hurt. There's some degree of protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. However, it seems as if, in my opinion, with women, we tend to have to abandon our true feelings. Yeah. And that can be extremely detrimental to our mental health. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, I don't want to get into a position of of falling into the the harmful ways in which we can gender stereotype. But right. I do think in my experience personally and even in the work that I'm doing that more women are wired to be aware of and understand their emotions. Mm-hmm. And whether, again, that's a, a stereotype that's perpetuated from childhood on up or if it's a part of our DNA or the way that our brain is constructed, I think we do. That's a gifting that I feel like we have as women to understand and express emotion maybe a little bit more um, freely sounds like than it's societally conditioned. So maybe it is, but then, then men do. And so we've internalized this message that in order to be an effective leader, I have to be stoic and I have to be unemotional. I have to be unaffected. And yet, as you just said, Emotions are a beautiful thing. I mean, God gifted us over any other element of creation this ability to feel. And I get maybe somebody would be like, no, no, my dog has emotions. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, like that is unique to human creation. And why? Because it, it, it's a part of what our narrative is telling us. If I feel grief over the loss of somebody, I can interpret that grief as telling me, 
people are important in my life. Connection is critical. And that person in particular was very important to me. It's a signifier of what's going on. I say this to my students all the time, that emotions aren't there for by accident. They are absolutely there to give us an indication that something's going on with us. And it might not even be anything wrong. Like you said, it could be showing me or uh, signaling to me that I'm passionate about something, mm-hmm. signaling to me that something you said is important to me. And when we look at the way that Jesus, you know, demonstrated his his life in on, on earth, he, we talked about this before, he absolutely was free with his emotions. Yeah. How you handle them in the context that you're actually walking through is different, but it's not a thing to um, be uh, shamed for, Yeah, you know, and, and I think going back to men and women, instead of saying to men, it's okay that these emotions are expressed, whether they're from you or from other women, and it's not an indicator of any type of weakness, Yeah, is the important message as opposed to, well, you're in this type of domain, therefore you got to make sure that you keep it together, mm-hmm. right? Just because you're expressing emotions, it doesn't mean that you don't have it together, whatever that means. Right. Well, and I think speaking to that point, there's, there's negative messages to men to stuff your emotions. Right. And... Um, I was in a season where I don't, you know, in my practice, I feel like I have, um, you know, waves of different types of clients that I work with. And while I always protect their identity and confidentiality, um, like some seasons I'm working with, you know, a particular disorder, some seasons I'm working with a particular population, some seasons I'm working in a particular context. I don't know. It's just the way God brings people into my life. And for a, a season, I ended up through some kind of random referrals working with people. So in our line of work, we um, we're licensed, right? Mm-hmm. And we report to a board mm-hmm. and the board regulates our legal and ethical practice. And we can get dinged for certain things, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we, we much like the medical field where our clients are and their health and well-being is our top priority. And so if we do something to damage that, we can get kind of sanctions against mm-hmm. us or worst case scenario, we can get our license taken away. And so I was in this season of, of somebody had referred somebody to me who had actually had a, a, a disciplinary action by the licensing board. Mm-hmm. And one of the stipulations of getting their license reinstated was counseling. Oh, okay. And through that, I ended up getting a couple of different referrals for people who were experiencing the same thing. They had engaged in something that had caused them to go before the licensing board. And one of the stipulations was counseling. And now, again, this is just my experience. I'm not... I'm not um, you know, generalizing this to the larger population. I'm just making an observation. All the clients that I worked with were men and all of the experiences they had were a result of an unmet need in their own life that unfortunately, Mm -hmm. unintentionally, they sought to get met through the counseling relationship. And now nothing was like a gross misuse or abuse of power, but it blurred the lines between the client counselor relationship. Mm. And You know, I I look at kind of coming back to what motivated our conversation today. I look at some of these other judges that sit on the Supreme Court. And let's just say not every one of them has a stellar reputation in their personal lives. Some of them have made some poor decisions. And I have to wonder what element of suppressing one's emotions and just kind of powering through has potentially led to that versus let's empower people in general 
to be able to express their emotions versus seeing it as a negative trait. I love that. So it, it, it is, and I know we, we keep reiterating this, it's the core of what's happening as people yeah. and the way it's lived out between genders. Yes. So it's not so much about men do this and women don't get to do that or women, you know, that's not the conversation we're having. The conversation is how do we then look at health that actually allows us to see how it's lived out between genders and how it can actually turn into something that could be problematic for individuals and even in as society at large. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting you say that because I have a ton of students and I always get excited when I see guys um, in my class, right? Young men in my class. I get extremely excited. And I actually had a student come to me and this particular student, he said, I'm, you know, we were talking about emotional intelligence. Oh, I love emotional intelligence. I know. And he was talking about how is it strange that I sometimes am emotional or I answer from my emotions and I don't answer or get into debates. And we're talking specifically with political debates, or, but I just answer out of my emotions. Is that strange? There's two parts I want to think about that question is that one, if it, if he was a woman, he wouldn't ask if it was strange, right? He yes. asked that it was strange. And so I, I I ended up having a huge smile on my face, you know, which at first he probably, he probably was like, why is she <laughs> smiling at this serious question? But I love the fact that he actually was questioning it. And he wanted that that confirmation that. And I said, that is beautiful. That means that you are alive. That means you are fully, you're living fully into the diversity of who you are I said the problem with that is that many circles that you might end up excuse me end up in they aren't going to affirm that Mm. and that's why you're asking the question but I'm here to tell you whatever it's worth you know from Dr. Hendrickson you can trash it if you want to afterwards and put it in the trash but I love the fact that you are actually you have so much emotional intelligence that you are coming to me asking me is it okay to have emotional intelligence (laughs) so it was beautiful Mm. and um, so there that's that one part of that but it is Again, the idea that I don't know if I've ever gotten that that type of question and that concern in that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, women will come to me or young ladies will come to me and ask in a different way because, again, it's lived out differently. Yeah. Right. The way that we talk about emotions is lived out differently. So girls will come to me and say, how do I not be so emotional? And this young man came to me and said, is it OK to be emotional? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and both are absolutely wonderful questions that need to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, it, you know, it, it, one of my favorite poets, I, I mentioned him on here before, I think Jaya John. Yeah. J-A-I-Y-A John. He's so dope. But again, he, you know, he says he has this quote in one of his books and his books are made up of a bunch of quotes sometimes and then poems and just quotes. But his quote said, they say you're emotional, but I say you're all the way live. Ooh, that's so good. And I love that. I think I need to frame that somewhere. Yes. You're all the way live. You're all the way live. Oh, that just spoke to my heart. 
Yes. And that's not gender specific. No, it's really (laughs) not. You know, and I can't help but wonder. I do, you know, I do a lot of couples counseling Mm -hmm. and I always see patterns in, in the couples I work with. But this this type of conversation usually drives me back to Genesis 3 and the Mm. consequence of original sin, right? And there's this part in Genesis 3 where God says part of the the consequence of your sin is that woman, you will, you know, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Mm -hmm. And, And I think there's a lot of different ways that we can pull meaning from that verse. But I think for me, as I read that, you know, especially as a single person, so I'm not desiring my husband per se. And I think some people would say, (laughs) oh, well, that's why single, especially single women desire to be married. I'm like, "Mm, I think it's more about the the compatible complementarian relationship piece. Like I love when I'm working with my team or hanging out with my best friend, or even for us on our podcast, like you and I bring unique experiences and perspectives and different ways of looking at the world together in a way that enhances both of our lives. It's complementary. And and so I I look at this and I think about my desire is for that complementary relationship. And yet as a result of the fall, and I don't know, my tendency is to see this as rooted in insecurity. Maybe that's not always fair, but as a result of the fall, there may be a motivation or an inherent bias in men to rule over out of insecurity. Wow. I don't know. That, you know, we're, we're to our audience, we're really mulling this over like we Live. always do, right? Live. Like, Live. We're trying to, you know. <laughs> don't, don't criticize us. Right. We're, we're verbally processing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking of my husband and, and myself. I'm thinking, you know, I am an extremely unashamed um emotional person mm-hmm. okay I will cry I always say I'm a waterhead I cry over everything and I'm absolutely fine with that uh, I always talk about how I grew up with mostly all women and Craig on the other hand grew up with mostly all men yeah. and and he also grew up in a football culture so there were there was very little room being a in that culture oh, of, of emotion levels, right? <laughs> there was levels to this. And so you, you know, God brought one of the most emotional, you know, feeling person together with someone <laughs> who's like feelings, Stoic. what's feelings, <laughs> you know, everything's rational and intellectual. Um, but what, when we talk about um, complimenting one another, I, it, it, it has been a, uh, a chore for us. And I don't want to say a chore in a pejorative way, but we've put work into it. Mm-hmm. In terms of expressing how we believe we're wired, but also uncovering and unpacking the parts that is not part of how we are wired, but it's socially influenced. Yes, 100 percent. It's the same reason why when we get to the stage in counseling of talking through how you navigate conflict, I have both partners tell me what was your observation and experience of uh, of conflict growing up? Because you bring that into your relationship. Yep. 100%. So how do we, I think the solution to everything we're talking about is how do we have people have more conversations about why you think that way? You know, I think it's so, that's such a hard question because again, that would have to mean that we put aside 
what we've been indoctrinated to believe about having these conversations as men and women. Yes. And <laughs> and I think part of the reason why we don't do that, and I will say again, common humanity, not gender specific, is insecurity. Yes. We're insecure. We're insecure about losing our identity, which is in, which is in and of itself a false thing because our identity is in Christ. We're insecure about losing our power and influence. That's mm-hmm. a huge one. We're insecure about even just stepping into the unknown area. So maybe for us, knowledge is a security piece or familiarity is a security piece. Absolutely. Fear of rejection, fear. And this goes for men and women. And and I think, again, it's going to look, it's going to look different and the reasons are different and the fear of who they reject or who they are insecure about or what they're insecure about. It could be something that is socially uh, influenced or it could be something that came from 20 years ago, you know. Yeah. But... I'm wondering if it is a position, the position that we need to take or the stance that we need to take is um, being transparent. So there is a, you know, kind of to wrap this up, there's a, uh, Marion Williamson has this poem called Our Deepest Fear. And it was coined, um, it was, it's pretty, it was familiarized by uh, Nelson Mandela during his inauguration. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have heard it. But a part of the, the poem, it's called Our Deepest Fear, is, you know, and I'm kind of saying this, uh, but I might butcher it a little bit, but it's um, once we um, are open and transparent with ourselves, we give other people permission to do the same. And so I'm wondering the approach may be that we as clinicians or people, whoever, you know, who is listening to the podcast, they have to first be transparent. Yeah. Because then that will that may allow other people to know that they are safe because you've given something of yourself and you took that risk in front of them yourself. Yeah. Right. So they kind of got something on you. Yeah. (laughs) And so maybe and not in a manipulative way, but oftentimes we feel that we can share and be upfront and be show our raw emotions of who we are. if We feel safe, especially if we know that person doesn't have this gold rope around them as if they're not they can't be touched and they're untouchable. Mm -hmm. So maybe our approach might be where we have to, again, you know, we say this on podcasts all the time, start with ourselves and be able to risk, you know, do that risk ourselves. There's there's nuances and layers to that because then you know it can get in, it could get you know scary messy messy yeah um, but you know I I don't know how we can take this approach without having some vulnerability ourselves I would absolutely agree and I think that comes back to asking those questions of you know how am I how am I viewing how am I approaching how am I engaging with with others. You know, from a human from a human standpoint, standpoint. foundation, yeah, right. and you know, <laughs> scripture doesn't say love your uh, f- women as females, love your female neighbors as you love yourself, mm-hmm. and men as males, love your male neighbors as you love yourselves. No, it comes from a place of humanity. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, mm-hmm. and so what does it look like to? do some soul searching, do some vulnerability and to say, okay, what are the ways in which I'm perhaps not caring for that person in the way I care for myself? Wow. Yeah. How, how, you know, how can I go up to that person and say, based on your context of what's going on right now, I understand why you're tearful. Yeah. But that's hard when that's not even on a person's radar. Yeah. You're not giving that permission to yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's the key where, okay, so how, but, but what are the spaces that, you know, especially, especially with men, you know, in our society, where are those spaces where they can begin to look at 
that that themselves in a way that you know and give themselves permission to look at their emotions and not feel ashamed to do that mm-hmm. so that then they can be open and to see that's something that is um, can be very healing to the others around them Where, where's where's that space yeah right and maybe maybe even say perhaps I could gain some knowledge and wisdom from the female leaders around me in terms of how to engage that space or create that space yeah just a thought wow okay so i i I am aware of the reality as we're wrapping up this episode that this could evoke some emotional reactions in people right some of our listeners whether they're they're male or female um and I, I think one of the things that prevents us from actually having this conversation, whether it's internal with ourselves or external, is when those stronger emotions of anxiety, um, you know, uncertainty, defensiveness, that's a big one, pop up and we let them get the best of us. I have been in that boat many times. And myself included. And I think about, didn't you, did you used to run? Mm-hmm. Ran, right? Okay. So the runner's high. Oh, yeah. I'm not a runner. I've never experienced the runner's high. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine that there's a lot of pain and anguish that you have to push through before you get to the runner's high. Yes. How do you do that? Mm, It's but it's it's psychological. Yes. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to tell yourself to keep going. There is something on the other side of this that is going to make this all worthwhile. And so I think when it comes to those feelings, it's important to acknowledge them. That's a big first step. Right. Because if you're in the anguish and you're in the frustration of running and you haven't gotten to the runner's high and you're just like, I'm not feeling any pain. I'm not feeling any. (laughs) You're not going to experience the runner's high. And maybe you might injure yourself or something (laughs) or quit. I don't know, right? So we've got to acknowledge. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling defensive. Acknowledge that, but don't succumb to it. When I'm in a situation where I'm feeling that sense of discomfort, and in particular defensiveness, that's a big one for me, I really focus in on listening to understand the other person's perspective. And we are so often listeners to respond. Like you're talking to me and I am formulating my argument in Mm -hmm. response and I'm missing all the core elements of what you're saying. And I think a lot of people... um, equate understanding with agreement and so they are that they default to listening to respond because they're convinced I have to I have to convince you of my truth Mm. whereas understanding is just listening to to really gather the elements of a person's story and experience their narrative like the context of it Mm -hmm. so we could fundamentally disagree over something but I could still seek to understand why you hold the belief that you do and honor you as common humanity in the process I love that I love that you can hold both you can hold both right I tell my students I actually just told them this on class at class on Thursday because we're doing counseling skills right yeah and they're they're like what do I say when I do this when they do this what do I say with this what if this happens and what do I say I said if you don't know if you don't learn anything else by the end of the semester, I want you to, yes, you have, there, there are skills that you need to practice, but when in doubt, give them the gift of presence. Yeah. Give them the gift of listening. Give them the gift of understanding. You don't have to forego your own position, but you can hold both at the same time. Oh, that's good. That's so good. Get the gift of presence. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I don't know that we, um, 
resolved anything <laughs> in this episode. It was an interesting conversation that went in a direction I wasn't anticipating. But yeah. once again, I loved where we went yeah. and what we talked about. It was on our mind. Absolutely. So hopefully you, our listeners, were um, encouraged or maybe even challenged by the conversation today. And we'd love to hear your feedback as always. So you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Follow us on social media, Becoming Well Podcast. You can follow us online, becomingwellpodcast.org. And leave us some comments, some questions. Push back if you feel like it. And um, definitely consider a five-star review. We always like those. Um, And as always, we're delighted that you joined us. Thank you. Be well.